Well, welcome, everybody. Uh, Michael Lyles has become a dear friend to Fair and me. She knew him long before I did, but I just deeply love and respect this man. And, Michael, I'm so glad you're here. The topic is simple, behind the masks, the mental health impact of COVID-19. And he's going to get into all facets of that. And I'm going to not do him justice on his resume. I'm just going to tell you a few things about him. He is a graduate of the University of Michigan, six-year pre-medical medical program. He completed a psychiatric residency and minority fellowship at Duke University Medical Center. He received a top award while he was there. He was an assistant professor of psychiatry and an associate director of outpatient services at the University of Kentucky Medical School. He moved to Atlanta in 1986 to enter private practice. He's done a bunch of stuff since he's been here, uh, some of which are in the public and private sector, community mental health center, state psychiatric hospital, county hospital, state and federal prisons. He's done a lot. He's committed to raising the standard of care in the community by teaching gatekeepers such as clergy, clergy and primary care doctors along with lay groups. He's involved with a variety of community organizations. He has written and been published over 60 times. He is on all kind of boards. He uh, does things with professional athletic teams and community groups. He is just, uh, he's very well known in this sphere. So I'm going to pray for you, Michael, then welcome you to the podium. Heavenly Father, we just want to pause, Lord, and just give you thanks uh, during this time of year. Just thank you, Lord, for loving us. And thank you for bringing people like Michael Lyles into our lives, Father, that will speak words of hope and encouragement to us in truth. We thank you for Michael, Lord, the heart that he has for you and the heart that he has to help people, Father. We just pray tonight that his words will be your words, Father, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I'm happy to be with you tonight. This is not going to be a lecture. I'm going to talk about some things, but we're going to have some discussion because I've been a psychiatrist for... Th uh, uh, the only thing all that meant that John said is that I'm old. I've been doing what I've been doing for 38 years as a psychiatrist. And in 38 years of practice in a lot of different settings, the past between <clears throat> the middle of March and the middle of April of last year was the worst period of time in my professional career. I usually put three people in the hospital a year. I put three people in the hospital the first Monday in April. Um, and it got so bad, and it's still so bad, that you can't find a bed. A few weeks ago, uh, I was trying to admit somebody to Emory. The lady laughed at me on the phone when I said, do you have a bed? She started laughing. Uh, and I said, well, when will you have a bed? And she started laughing louder. Um, she says, this is not going to change anytime soon, doctor. You need to go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, it has been, you're here because you've seen in your children and in yourselves a lot of mental health impact uh, with addiction and mental illness. And in the past year, every variable that you can measure uh, has been multiplied because of the pandemic. And I thought it might be good to talk about that a little bit tonight and <clears throat> to give you an opportunity to share your experiences. about. I, I liked what you said because you talked about how God has led us through things in the past, which means that we need to learn from what God has led us through in difficult experiences. And one of the talking points that I have tonight is what have you learned through this experience? I had a dream in January of this year, I woke up in the middle of the night, um, and in my dream, across the street, the house across the street, lightning had hit the roof, 
and my neighbor was out in the yard working by himself to save his furniture and it was pulling out on the, on the yard by himself and cars were going by. The roof was burned and furniture was everywhere and he was working alone to save everything that was valuable to him. We are the ones that got hit by lightning. That's what that dream was about. In many, many different ways we've been hit by lightning. Um, I've had patients that died from COVID-19. Um, I had a patient that died, and it's not over. I had a patient that died three weeks, uh, yeah, three weeks ago. Uh, I remember sitting, I had three people that sat in my office about two months ago, and I always ask my patients, have you gotten a vaccine? And these three people got angry with me, yelled at me, and told me they weren't getting any vaccine. Well, of the three, one has become QAnon, is learning how to shoot a gun. The second one got sick, ended up in the hospital on a respirator, and the third one died. Mm -hmm. um, relationships. I have a former employee that worked for me in my office who uh, also did not get vaccinated, and she died uh, waiting for natural immunity uh, about four months ago, one of the many funerals I've had to go to. Um, my church deacon died. Uh, in my family, uh, my cousin had a child that died at 42 not 82. And a, a part of me uh, died when my son and his wife had our first granddaughter in July of last year, and we didn't get to participate, didn't get to go to the hospital, and got to go over for 10 minutes when they first came home, and the pediatrician told them we could not be around the baby except for 10 minutes, and then we'd have to leave, and I got to see her two times between then, between July and the end of the year. And as I tell, if, if any of you are grandparents, that new baby smell is better than new car smell. <laughs> and we didn't get to do that because of COVID. This is a picture. Um, you can't see it. But this, this is my son, my daughter, another daughter, and this is the person that died at a wedding uh, about six months before. But that would have been September of 2019. Little did we know when we took that picture clowning around that he would die in a hospital by himself with his mother watching on FaceTime because she was not allowed to visit. It took him two months to die and every day she went to the window, looked on FaceTime and watched him die a little bit more. These are my, uh, my four best friends. We, we taught Sunday school together for 27 years and became close friends. Uh, I called them my three amigos. <laughs> this fellow died at Northside. He went to the hospital sick in August of last year. Come to find out he had cancer, not COVID. Uh, not everybody that died was from COVID, but everybody that died, died alone. He went to the hospital, found out he had cancer, got put on chemotherapy, found out the chemo wasn't working, got radiation, found out radiation wasn't working, was told he was going to die, and in that two-month period of time of going down that journey, he never got to see his wife, children, or grandkids. And one week before he died, I was about to have a fit to let him go home so that he could see his family one more time before he died. How many people, I'm sure you guys know people that that happened to. Uh, one of my patients, her sister, went to the hospital last year and uh, found out she had breast cancer that had metastasized and died in the hospital, never made it back home again.
And that had nothing to do with dying from COVID. That's just dying from alone, by yourself, and sick. <clears throat> this is, uh, used to be a Jay Christopher's. I don't know if anybody went to it. This is one that's over on Highway 92 in back of Bee Gees. Uh, I have another psychiatrist that's my accountability partner. And he and I met at this Jay Christopher's for 10 years, uh, once a month, just to see what was going on and, and keeping each other. I don't know if many of you have accountability partners that, uh, that keep you in the middle of the road, but that's where we met. I mean, they knew us there. Uh, we went through both of us having cancer, his mother dying, um, kid issues. I know, I, you know, y'all wouldn't know anything about kid issues, but adult <laughs> children issues, uh, him getting a divorce. Uh, all, I mean, life. We did life together for 10 years. Then we showed up one day to do our breakfast and it was closed. And when that, you know, you hear about all these business closings, but that was more than a business. That, that place held memories of life that we did together, life that we shared together. And it closed because of COVID. Um, and then this is the granddaughter that I didn't get to see. Uh, really in any significant way till March of this year. And she was born in July of last year. Uh, and she was scared to death of me because she didn't know me. I got three grandkids. This is the only one that was scared of me. She, about two months ago, after I've harassed her enough, now she will play with me. And, you know, but she didn't know who I was. You know, how many of you got shut off from relationships, separated from people that you loved because of what happened with the pandemic? This is a blank slide because I added it about three hours ago. This is what I was talking about, John. Uh, because three hours ago, my phone rang as I was about to see a patient, and I looked at it, and it was from Detroit. I left South Carolina and moved to Detroit in the ninth grade, and I answered it. I said, it's weird. I answered it, and it was the sister of the man that was the best man in my wedding, my roommate in college, best man in my wedding, godfather to my, old, my oldest child, my first kid. She called to tell me that they found him dead. He did not get vaccinated. He and I have argued since the beginning of the year that he needed to get a vaccine and get a physical. Hadn't seen a doctor in seven years. He was a chemical engineer who just knew everything. He knew everything. Georgia Tech guy, okay? Uh, any Georgia Tech people? <laughs> and they found him in his place dead, heart attack. And my fear is it's from COVID because that's how a lot of people die from COVID is from heart attacks and strokes. Um, so that was four hours ago. But then things changed. Thank you. Things, yeah, I've been, in fact, I was on the phone driving down Johnson Ferry calling up friends of uh, mutual friends that we had, letting them know what had happened um, to him. A new normal uh, occurred. The vaccines came out, uh, masks started to come off, and toilet paper was on sale, okay? How many times did you go into a grocery store looking for toilet paper and couldn't find any? Looking for a whole bunch of stuff. Mar March the 12th of last year, I gave a talk at the Sheridan uh, to the Christian Association of Psychological, for Psychological Studies, a bunch of psychologists. And um, I had a quiz and if they got the quiz right, I had a bottle of hand sanitizer. That was the reward for getting the quiz right. 
You're talking about some people perking up and trying to answer. <laughs> March of last year, a bottle of sanitizer was like gold. <laughs> By the way, while I was talking, they informed us they were closing the hotel because of COVID and that we needed to finish up and get out. The following Tuesday, my landlord called us up. I was still trying to see patients in my office because I'm crazy. <laughs> and uh, told us that we needed to, we had two hours to get out of the building because people were testing positive in our building. And I called him up to discuss why we had to go and he said, of all people, I didn't expect you, the doctor, to call me up and argue with me about this. Get out, click. <laughs> uh, in the next two weeks, I saw four people that after I saw them, I did this by Zoom that I had to learn how to use in two hours. Uh, I saw four people that ended up testing positive, getting COVID. Two of them ended up in the hospital, and I would have seen them while they were infected before they realized they had it. I could have died. One of my psychiatrist friends did die. <clears throat> now, my question is, and the thing I want us to talk about, and I'm going to show you a few things that have served as a structure for our discussing is, you know, we, people fight about masks. Do you wear masks? You know, what kind of mask and all that? But what has happened to us behind the mask? Uh, what has the pandemic done to us? How have we reacted to what has happened to us? What has happened to us? How, I just shared with you a few examples of things that happened in my life uh, that impacted me. Uh, but one of the discussion questions at the end that I want you to think about if you haven't thought about it or discussed it with anybody is how has all this stuff affect, affected your life and the lives of those that you love? Uh, I remember having, talking about addiction, I remember having a patient that I saw in June of last year and you know, I gave him my, you need to go to AA speech. He said, yeah, what AA? They're all meeting online. He, he said, I need people. I need to be able to touch somebody. And that doesn't exist anymore, Dr. Lyles. I said, well, you got to use what you got until you can get something better. He says, it's not working. I need people. They even ran out of antabuse. Uh, for people who were out, uh, had alcohol use disorder that took antabuse, you couldn't even get any antabuse because they couldn't make it because the factory shut down because of COVID. So, what are some of the psychological issues of COVID? I just picked a day. Uh, this was in the fall of last year. I just picked one day and just made a list of everything people came in my office and told me about how uh, the pandemic was affecting them psychologically. You might not be able to read this, so I'll read it to you. Person said, workers taking leave due to physical and mental problems because of COVID, they were having to work a lot more, a lot more work stress. Little did we know that that would get worse you know, try, uh, uh, last Friday I played golf with three, three, one of the guys in that picture, three of my best friends, and the guy waited 40 minutes at a Burger King for a hamburger because they only had two people working and one person was running the drive-thru mm -hmm. because they can't get anybody to work. Uh, supply chain issues. Uh, this, is, this is last fall. Uh, leading a, uh, the guy was telling me they can't get any business deals done because they don't have anything to sell. Uh, and he was worried about his job. Uh, one person said he's caring for his father remotely in memory care uh, because the memory care place wouldn't let him in. And he was worried that his father would die in memory care and he wouldn't see him, like my friend almost died in the hospital without seeing his family. Um, 
my friend that died today, his sister was telling me about, you know, they got to figure out how they're going to do his funeral because he's in Michigan where the rates are going back up again and they may restrict how many people can come to his funeral. I might not be able to go to his funeral. And this person's mother died and only 10 people could go. Funerals, weddings, graduations, all kinds of signature events in life were affected by the pandemic. And then being together a lot with housemates, spouses, all that togetherness. Togetherness will put a focus on everything that's going right. Togetherness will also put a focus on some of the things that are not going right. And of course, the weight, uh, this person uh, stopped eating and lost 50 pounds because of being stressed out. I had a whole bunch of patients would have wanted to exchange places. <laughs> they gained 50 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the COVID-19, the COVID-19. Well, I put on the COVID-38 now. <laughs> uh, spouses, again, pre-existing issues became in focus because of being together so much. Uh, the absence of in-person 12-step meetings, as mentioned. Uh, a person gave up her dog uh, to adoption because she lost her home after job loss, and that was like an emotional support animal for her. Um, uh, on and on and on about vaccine issues. Well, the vaccine hurt me. This was a trauma survivor that was worried about her body being violated from taking the vaccine. The, hot, the number one thing that I think affected people emotionally was social isolation. The, uh, one of my patients said she lost the guardrails in her life that kept her in the middle of the road. Her friends, her in-person worship, her small group, uh, 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 me, being able to go to the restaurant and meeting with my, my accountability partner. <clears throat> Harder to manage non-COVID life stresses. This person had a fire in their home and was having trouble finding stuff to repair their house. And it's only gotten worse. Uh, I need new windows on my house. And I'm afraid, I, I got an estimate that was almost twice what it used to be. And then I said, I'm going to wait and see if the prices come down as supply stuff gets better. Uh, that was silly. <laughs> I should have taken the first deal. And of course, all the residual symptoms of COVID physically. I've had patients with lung problems, liver problems, fatigue, arthritis, brain fog, and of course, loss of smell everybody's heard of, headaches, anxiety, depression, insomnia, because the virus can affect the brain. I was reading a paper today about how the virus, uh, that people who've had brain involvement with COVID, even after the virus is gone, they have shrinkage uh, of brain tissue from COVID-19. Uh, yes, it can. Yes, I've had people who, uh, if you had pre-existing cognitive problems, it's much worse. But I got patients who, I have a patient who has two master's degrees in engineering that now is having trouble functioning mentally after long hauler COVID-19. She got it in August and didn't go away till about April. We've talked about death just too much. And you we all worry about our kids, okay? It's even worse when you see the kids going through what they went through. Uh, my son and his wife wouldn't let me see my grandchild because they were talking amongst themselves about, uh, to their friends about people that had died and their families and so forth, and they were scared to death. They st I think my son and his wife went out of their house three times in six months um, because they were scared to death about COVID. 
Now, what the literature says is that uh, mental health issues tend to decline uh, during epidemics uh, because of uncertainty, um, you know, not knowing what's going to happen, a lack of control, not feeling as if you can do anything about it. The biggie, like I said, isolation, social isolation uh, is probably the most, that's why groups like this, this is so important. The worst thing you can do when going through something is do it alone. The common denominator, and one of these things I've learned in 38 years, I feel so old saying this stuff, but one of the things I've learned in 38 years of doing this is that the worst thing you can do when going through stress in life, problems in life, is to do it by yourself. Most of my patients that do poorly are trying to do it by themselves, and it is, and most, and a lot of them, okay, now I'm gonna fuss for a second, a lot of them don't have anybody to do it with. That's why this organization is so important. Because imagine if you were going through what you were going through worrying about your child and you didn't know anybody else. And you thought it was only you. And you thought nobody else would be able to understand your experience. That you were the only one that went through this. You know? Uh, I remember one time playing golf with uh, my buddies. And one guy started complaining about something his wife did. And the other guy goes, oh, my wife does that too. And the other guy goes, yeah, my wife does that too. And I said, my wife does it too. I said, what does that mean? He says, they were all idiots. <laughs> and then, you know, we all knew that we weren't, it wasn't just us, that that was just part of being married. And, and the isolation took away all of that shared life experience, all of that mutual support, all of that, uh, the guardrails that that lady was talking about. And then misinformation, what can you believe? What can you believe? What's, what is truth? Uh, they did a study in China. If you want to figure out the risk of getting depressed during the pandemic, it correlates with how much social media you do. The more social media you do, the greater your chances of getting depressed because the more confused you would be. One of my patients today said, today said that the best thing she did to deal with the anxieties that she was having about what's going to happen in the future was turn off the TV. Uh, the CDC back uh, during, oh, this would be fall of last year, said that you should not watch the news more than 15 minutes twice a day. And, you know, people are at home watching TV nonstop. It became toxic. So, this is a coffee cup in my office. Please do not confuse your Google search with my medical degree. <laughs> that was true before the pandemic. <laughs> I tell my patients all the time, okay, you do what Dr. Google tells you, but when it doesn't work at 2 o'clock in the morning, page Dr. Google, not me. <laughs> the mental health impact of COVID-19 is also because of direct effects on the brain. A lot of people that had COVID-19 ended up uh, uh, with a lot of mental health problems because of COVID-19 causing a cytokine storm. How many of you have heard that term? A cytokine storm. Got one, two, okay? Uh, cytokines are inflammatory cells in the body. I have a thumb that's swollen a little bit from playing bad golf. Uh, I should have it in a brace, but I didn't want to get up here with my thumb in a brace today. I'm trying to look cool. Uh, but when I leave this and go home, I'm putting my brace back on. 
It is swollen because cytokines are the, the foot soldiers of inflammation. And when there's an injury, they swoop in and they cause inflammation to occur so that the injury can be healed. If the right amount of cytokines come in, you get healing. If too many cytokines come in, you get too much inflammation, you get damage. They call it a cytokine storm because uh, the COVID-19 virus triggered a, a flood of inflammation in the brain, in the joints, in the lungs. The lungs, if you've ever been swimming and you go under the water and you start taking some water in your lungs, that's what those people on respirators felt like 24-7. Like their lungs were full of water because they were full of fluid. The financial impact of what has uh, what happened, and that's still going on now. There's higher suicide rates. Uh, they wondered if there would be higher suicide rates in our country, and, well, around the world, uh, because of COVID-19. And uh, it's been going on long enough now that the answer is yes. Um, so th this has been a very impactful thing. Well, vaccines came out, mask mandates have been lifted. All the schools, for the most part, have lifted their mask mandates, but we're still having a lot of arguments about masks. We still are worried about variants and, uh, um, you know, whether to get boosters. Um, and really, in many parts of the world, they don't even have vaccines. There are some parts of the world that don't even have vaccines still. Um, and if there was a vaccine, there's a tremendous amount of diversity of acceptance of vaccines. And there are some people who really can't take vaccines. My, my daughter, my uh, youngest child, cannot take vaccines because she tried to go on a mission trip when she was a freshman in college, got a yellow fever uh, uh, vaccine as part of getting ready to go on a mission trip, had an allergic reaction to it, her platelet count went to zero, and she ended up in the, emerg in the emergency room two weeks before she was supposed to go to West Africa uh, with no platelets and bleeding. If that had waited two weeks, I wouldn't have a younger daughter because that would have happened out in the middle of nowhere uh, in Africa and she would have bled to death. Uh, her doctor said, you can't touch a vaccine with a 10-foot pole. She's a frontline nurse. <laughs> so the mask are not off for everybody. Uh, and it's a, a different kind of isolation for the people who uh, are worried about all of this and feel vulnerable. Uh, there's a different kind of isolation. If you see somebody with a mask on at Publix now, you know, uh, <laughs> it was a, a comic said, you see somebody with a mask on, half the people are going, what do you have a mask on for? He must have not gotten a vaccine. He's trying to keep from giving it to somebody. And then uh, the other half of people are going, that self-righteous person trying to make everybody else look bad by putting their mask on. <laughs> you know, everything has become so judgmental. And I don't know if, you, if you've been this way, but it seems like people are on edge more. People get angry more. People get anxious more. People are willing to judge each other a lot quicker. Um, getting everybody in each other's face a lot more over nothing. And when the mask came off, I'm a golfer. Uh, this is, this, I've only played one golf course that's on anybody's list of best golf courses, and this is it, as so I put this picture up. But one of my good friends that was in that, one of my three amigos, when uh, we got our second booster, uh, our second vaccine, decided that we were going to go play golf, and we were going to ride in the same car with no mask on. 
So I went to him, you know, big stuff, you know. <laughs> so I went to pick him up, put our golf clubs in the trunk. He got in the car. I got in the car. We had our mask. We took our mask off, looked at each other, smiled, made it two blocks down the street, and put our mask back on. <laughs> Cowards. <laughs> and what that example showed is that behavioral changes occur in baby steps, little by little. We could not take our mask off like that uh, in, in, in February of this year. Uh, and we had to make baby steps to recover our lives back little by little. And because there's a new normal, there still is a new normal. Uh, you know, maybe you can talk about what your new normal looks like when we talk in a few minutes. And how have you been making baby steps and adjusting to your new normal? You know, most of the mental health professionals in this town do not see people in person anymore. The largest mental health group in town, the old Georgia Behavioral Group, is Life Stance now. Um, there's an office in my building. Only one person comes in one day a week and they have eight practitioners. Everybody else is working from home. I know of two psychiatrists that don't plan on ever seeing people in person again, ever. Uh, the new normal, I don't think is that normal anymore when you start calling that the new normal because I'm with the person that said, I want in person AA meetings. This stuff online doesn't cut it. And sometimes you need to be able to share air with somebody, even if you're sharing air through a mask and you know, doing it on a phone or on a computer doesn't cut it. But in mental health, that's what is happening. Let's talk about what we can learn from the pandemic. Lessons learned. This is some of my lessons learned and some of the lessons I've learned. One of the things, another one of those 38 years of practice, you learn a lot. I learn, I learn a lot from my patients. You know, uh, patients come in to tell me their problems and to get advice, but I learn a lot from them. And one thing that we all learned is how to cleanse our lives of the non-essentials. That's uh, a whole lot of stuff that I thought was really important that wasn't that important anymore. It's kind of like when I had cancer. When you get cancer, when you have a life-threatening illness, it really focuses your attention on what's really important and what is not. And the pandemic has done that. You learn how to simplify your life. Um, you learn how to adapt to what I cannot control, which is really, really important uh, with any kind of problem, and learn how to focus on what I could control. Instead of worrying about what I can't control, what can I control? What do I get a vote on? What do I have some responsibility? And how do we deal with that? My diet, my exercise, uh, in terms of my relationships, uh, for a while there, there were places I couldn't go. Right now, still, my wife is nervous about being around big groups of people. We went to a Braves game, not the World Series. We went to a Braves game. Um, I'm too cheap to have gone to the World Series. <laughs> One of my patients, they said she paid $4,000 for two tickets uh, for that last game in Atlanta. Uh, yeah, I, I don't like the Braves that much. <laughs> But, you know, we had to learn to what can we do that we're comfortable with? What can we do that our adult children would be comfortable with so we could see our grandchildren? I know none of y'all had to worry about that. <laughs> but that was actually a big issue for us for a while uh, because there were things that we wanted to do that our adult children, um, got three of them, uh, two of them were pretty 
conservative than the nurse didn't care what we did. Uh, but the other two were all over us. You shouldn't be doing that. In fact, uh, I, I took my wife to a movie and my 37-year-old son called me up. Dad, I heard that you and mom went to a movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, and how is this your problem? <laughs> and he proceeded to tell me how irresponsible I was being. This was in March of this year. We've gotten beyond that. Mitch Album, uh, who is a writer in the Detroit Free Press, uh, said that you have to search for new habits in the new normal. And he said that he was not in a hurry to return to the old normal, that there were some things that he learned that made him think maybe the new normal isn't so bad. Instead of going to the gym, he learned about Peloton, and he said he learned something that was amazing, walking around his neighborhood. He started meeting people that lived in his neighborhood, and he learned their names, and they walked together, and they walked pets together. And he said, why do I have to worry about going back to the gym, whether it's safe or not, when I can walk the neighborhood with my new friends? Uh, he said for a while he wouldn't go to restaurants, but he learned how to cook. And he kind of liked people bringing stuff to his door. You know, Uber Eats and all this kind of stuff. It's, oh, and this is a biggie. Instead of going to the office, I can work from home. It's all this stuff that allows me to work from home. Uh, I don't know if I want to go back to the office. I don't know if any of you in your workplace is seeing that. Uh, theaters versus streaming services. Okay, I'm, I didn't even know what a streaming service was until about two years ago. Okay, you know, Netflix, I have found out what Netflix is. I'm a nerd, okay? I'm a doctor, that means I'm a nerd, which means I don't know anything that's worthwhile unless it's in a science book. Um, so I, you know, I learned about streaming. And he said there was a slower pace to life now, and he realized he had more choices. So, as a word of reflection, what have you learned about, and this is where we're gonna have a little bit of discussion. Uh, because I wanted to just share and be a little bit, you know, what is the word, uh, uh, vulnerable in talking about my experience. But what have you learned about yourself and others from the pandemic? What would you say? Well, you touched on something a moment ago. Um, when was your granddaughter born? July. Our grandson was born in May. We had the opposite experience and that they were selling their house and moving near us, just honestly across the street, they moved in with us for a while. And it's exactly what you were talking about. It, it was almost like we went back to the 60s because we were all at mom and dad's house with the grandchildren and people, we were playing in the yard and people were going for walks. It was actually a great experience. But for the one daughter, who's the reason we're here, she had a roommate who decided to then move out and move in with her boyfriend, and Claire's living by herself and working in food service, you know, so it was <coughs> different, I think different um, ways of dealing with it or effects on mm -hmm. people involved. Absolutely, and within a family, many, many different effects on different people, mm -hmm. depending on their station in life. Others. Mm -hmm. 
I'm talking about patients and, and friends, yeah. And I have a couple of friends, and you find out, even though they're your dear friends, they can be very opinionated and talk, 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 talk about whichever way it is. Right. You know, take the vaccine, don't Not take the vaccine. vaccine. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow. I you know, <laughs> mostly kept my mouth shut. Because <laughs> you don't want to ruffle any feathers. You don't want to ruin a friendship or anything like that, so I, that's something I discovered. So many ways we've become divided over masks and vaccines. See, as a doctor, people expect me to have an opinion, so they ask me and my patients, you know, that's part of my little routine, is, do you smoke, you know, you need to stop smoking, you know. Um, so, you know, we're, I'm supposed to be like that, but it's not easy to do that with people, uh, to bring up those, those that become buzzwords, hot spots. Autoimmune compromised, so I have to ask if they're vaccinated and use boundaries to determine whether or not this is someone that I want to allow within a certain amount of space. Right, but it's safe, yes, medically safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, I really have to say, why? Because the propensity to contract the virus doesn't matter whether you've gotten the shot or not. Right. But he's saying he has a medical problem sure. to put him more at risk. Yeah. For if you need me to leave the room, I will because yeah. I'm not vaccinated. I haven't gotten the shot. Mm. And I'm willing to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's my decision. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, again, we're getting, this, we are yeah. divided now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This is it's, something that divides us. Of, uh, I've said this before. I don't believe anybody. That's, that's a sad, sad state of affairs. That's, remember I saw misinformation? That's what happens when you hear opposite opinions, and particularly on social media. Oh, my goodness. Social media, you hear people screaming one point of view, the exact opposite point of view. You know, what's truth? Yeah. Right. What's truth? Yeah. I, I do think the pandemic has been a great enabler to users because it's really made it convenient in a lot of cases to uh, just wallow in the habit that we may be in. A lot more, uh, one of my patients uh, bought a um, alcohol, a beer and wine store. He, uh, he, he bought one and he sold it to somebody right before the pandemic. And he said the guy that bought it from him said that that was the best investment he's ever made because he can't keep alcohol on the shelf. Um, and that he, he, he wanted to send a gift to the guy that sold him the store because he's making so much money because of the pandemic. Drinking and, and weed, oh my Lord, weed, 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 weed. That's become like a Coca-Cola uh, because of the pandemic. People trying to numb feelings. We, the associates of them, understand so much more. I mean, we, we excuse a lot more where we might might push back just a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's been tough for them to keep a job. It's been tough for them not to be around their friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Oh, it's been such a hard two years. You know, let's give them a little slack. It just isn't the best. 
Yeah, that's that's what makes it so hard about this is normally you would be of a certain position, but then that mercy in you, because you see how hard it is for everybody, everybody going through this. One of the things that I kept track of is how many people called to check on me. You know, the people, some of the people, I don't know about you, but there were people I thought would call to check on me that didn't. And there were some people that called to check on me that I didn't expect to hear from. In terms of my friends, any of you have that experience? Yeah. No, but I found myself being being aware of people I may visit. Mm-hmm. My wife has a ninety-two-year-old aunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just making sure. Mm-hmm. Are you comfortable? She said, yeah, I'm good. I'm, prepared, I'm ready to die. I'm not uh, prepared to die. I'm just not ready. Mm-hmm. So, but, but, I mean, I went into the hospital <coughs> over a weekend about a month and a half ago, and it, I, I'm glad, I mean, no one could visit. I had to drop him off. Yeah, drop, <laughs> yeah, yeah. by yourself, alone. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I, it didn't really bother me, because I slept well, but, the, the, <laughs> <laughs> but I could see somebody who was really ill, I could see that being just mm. brutal on everyone, especially in the patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Assisted living. Say more. So it's an assisted living. We have a my father-in-law is in one, and it's the same thing there. They, you know, during the pandemic, they were all shut down. Oh yes, yes, yes. Very, very difficult. Yes. People couldn't see. You know, couldn't go see them. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Moving forward, how do you begin to redefine the new normal? What are some variables that are research-based that would help you to um, uh, gain more happiness? And these are things that, there's Bible verses for all of these, everybody wants a proof text, but I think they're pretty self-evident. Lori Santos is a psychologist at Yale that does research on happiness. What things in life helps people to become happy? And she has a podcast that she runs, the Happiness Lab podcast. And the five things that have come out of her research, try to be social. You were talking about going to visit the 92-year-old? You know, try to be social. Reach out. Don't just wait for people to come to you. Go to them. Find someone that you can be part of that answer with. Try to be social. And whatever, you know, whatever level of comfort level, because with all of this, everybody has a different comfort level in terms of what being social is gonna look like. Uh, And be respectful and try to do what you can do. Uh, One of the things in the Bible over and over and over again, Moses, when God called Moses to lead the nation of Israel uh, out of Egypt, and Moses complained about it, he said, what's in your hand? A rod, throw it down. It became the rod of God. In other words, what do you have in your hand? What's available to you that you can use? What can you do to be social? There was a guy I was mentoring in the height of the pandemic. He and I met at Roswell Area Park, had chicken biscuits and sat at opposite ends of a park bench to do our mentoring outside. Um, 
huge is gratitude. Huge, huge research that shows that one of the big drivers of happiness in life is looking for something to be grateful for. Um, when I had cancer in 2017, um, somebody, any of you cancer survivors? Yeah. You know, when somebody tells you you got cancer, it's like being hit with a baseball bat. Um, and I remember after I got over the numbness of it and went home, I said, I know a guy who's had cancer three times. His first wife died from cancer. His second wife had cancer. And he's happy. I got to find out what his secret is. So I called him up. He's a psychologist. And I said, we need to talk. I just found out I got cancer. And why are you so happy? I'm not feeling real happy right now. You know? And he said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get up at 5.30 every morning. And we're going to pray for 10 minutes. And you can't ask for anything. You can't pray for anybody else. You're just going to pray for something that you're grateful for. You're going to thank God for something that's going right in your life. Uh, some way in which some blessing has happened in your life. You're going to learn gratitude. Ten minutes every day, we're going to do a prayer of gratitude at 5.30 in the morning. That was 2017. It worked. I still do it. Still do it because it was life-changing, because it changed my perspective from you know, worrying about everything that's going bad that I can't do anything about to being grateful for where God is showing himself in my life now, the people in my life, the circumstances in my life. Um, very important. Live in the moment. Instead of living yesterday or living in the future, one day at a time today. Keeping it simple. Live in the moment. Get rest and stay active. Um, all doctors are nerds and all doctors are workaholics for the most part. And getting rest is like cussing, talking to people in my profession, <laughs> you know, because we're not supposed to do that. Uh, but that's something that's extremely important. It needs to be a balance of activity and rest. And there's nothing wrong with getting rest. And practice kindness. This is something that we've, we've just forgotten how to do. Uh, in the midst of fighting with each other over everything, uh, nobody practices kindness anymore. So I would encourage you to be, uh, you know, to be the person that in your life sphere, in your sphere of influence, in your family, in your church, with your friends, model what it's like to be kind to each other instead of, you know, this is what we need to do. This is what I think. And going on social media and bullying people. I mean, that's, that's the, social media is the opposite of kindness for a lot of people. So what are some things that you're grateful for? Have you thought, have you thought about that? Have you done the exercise of, on a regular basis trying to think about what you're grateful for? Maybe something that happened during the past year that you're grateful about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Reco and that's, that's grateful. Biggie. Anybody else? I'm grateful that my son's addiction brought me into this world of Families Anonymous, uh, Rosalind Child Ministries, etc. I'm a, a different person for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? You're grateful for your husband. Walking through this together. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, difficult times either they can make you do this or they can bring you together. Oh, yeah. we definitely still do this, but. <laughs> you are Mary, aren't you? Yeah, we're. <laughs> 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 That's kind of assumed. <laughs> you see, I believe in the Bobby Cox theory of marriage. Bobby Cox taught John Smoltz, and if you listen to those braves back then, they all talk about the same thing that Bobby Cox said, that he does not like college football because to win a championship in college football, you have to win every game. And in baseball, you only have to win two out of three. And if you win two out of three all the time, you'll win the World Series. And that's marriage. You're not going to have a good day every day, but can we get two out of three? It's, it's, it's like baseball, not college football. So. One out of three. <laughs> but those other two, be grateful for. Don't just focus on that. Uh, confronting uncertainty. <laughs> Which is really about living um, in the moment. About five years ago, this is before, yeah, about five years ago, about a year or two before I had cancer, I, I went to a golf tournament. Uh, it was a fundraiser for a college. And you play golf in the morning, and then you play bad golf in the morning, and you go have lunch, and you eat chicken. It's always chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody gives a talk, and they raffle off something. The speaker was one of the professors from the school that we were raising funds for. And he had been diagnosed three years before with pancreatic cancer. Nobody lives three years with pancreatic cancer. That's like a six-month deal. And so when everybody said he had had pancreatic cancer for uh, three years, you know, it was like a hush fell over the room. Everybody stopped eating their chicken. And he got up and he walked up to the podium and he said, you guys are looking at me like I'm going to die any minute now. He says, you know what, you're right. The doctors tell me I'm day to day. They've been telling me I was day to day for two years. And he says, you know what day to day living turned me into? He said, it turned me into someone who began to live life fully today because tomorrow is not guaranteed. I got today, we need to make this count. So." Today is not worth, uh, you know, you got to realize what's important. It's not worth getting mad, holding grudges, fighting about minutia. It's about hugging the people you want to hug, saying I love you to the people I need to say I love you to, you know, but celebrating the things in life that are important, you know, being able to see your family, your friends, uh, being able to hug your kids that are, have been clean and sober. Uh, being able to hug each other that have that supported each other through the process of recovery Realizing what's really important. He says I found that out when I realized that tomorrow is not promised I don't waste time on negative stuff I don't have time to waste time on negative stuff because I'm day-to-day. -day. I don't have tomorrow promised Hug those he and he leaned to Mike. He says hug those that you love you don't know when, people like me don't know when that might be my last time hugging somebody. He says, my wish for you is that you learn to live day to day. He said, it has blessed my life. And the pandemic taught a lot of us. I remember sitting in my house and um, 
some delivery service that charged us too much money uh, delivered groceries to our front door. And I went, opened the door and went and got groceries, started bringing them in. My wife started screaming, what are you doing? I got to get to the Clorox and wipe it down. <laughs> You're going to kill all of us. <laughs> and for a minute there, I was, you know, this is like April, May last year. I was wondering, you know, if I open the door, am I going to die, you know, from the virus? Um, but that kind of threat to life made me think about what that guy was saying. It's, you know, that was the pandemic, but none of us are promised tomorrow. We're all day to day. We're all like him. We just don't view it that way. And what he said about learning how to live day to day, one day at a time, as they say in the program, is really, really important. So, my advice, talk to somebody. Find your place. My friend and I had to find a new place. You know, we were all bummed out and depressed and upset and angry that we lost our place to meet that had 10 years of memories, but we had to find a new one. Think about one thing that we talked about today that might fit your situation, uh, something that might help you to do better. This is my older grandson uh, trying on a hat of mine that he never gave back and he destroyed. <laughs> and at the end of the day, this is, uh, this is a cup I have in my office, the cup of grace. Everybody needs a drink. Everybody just needs to just relax and be a little bit nicer and a little bit you know, more graceful to each other because we're all pilgrims on this journey and nobody has it right, nobody has it totally right, uh, and we gotta help each other. We gotta love each other. Like that guy said, we need to hug each other because um, everybody's going through something. Everybody's going through something. I had a patient come to see me years ago. She sat in my office and she said, I'm just, I'm just, I just, I'm just so embarrassed at the person I've become. I'm in a small group with these ladies, and our group leader, I wish I was like her. She's got it together, Dr. Lyles. I mean, her marriage is perfect. Her, her kids are wonderful. Uh, one of her kids was using, and, but her leader's kids were wonderful. They were perfect. Uh, you know, they go on these vacations. Uh, she's a small group leader at her church. Her hair is perfect. Her makeup is perfect. Her nails are perfect. You know, and then she starts weeping. And I console her and get it together, and it's time for my next patient. So I get up and I escort her out of my office, and she's trying to get dab her eyes, open the door to walk into the waiting room, and she starts screaming. Oh my God, oh my God. And I said, what is your problem? She goes, it's her. <laughs> and I said, who's her? This is who I've been telling you about. My next patient was the woman that was perfect. Now, I happen to know that lady wasn't perfect because I knew all of her stuff. And this, there was two tragedies in that story. One tragedy was that this woman was comparing herself with somebody else and thinking that, you know, that this person didn't have anything going on in their life when that wasn't even close to being true. 
To me, the larger tragedy is that her small group leader facilitated that by not being honest and genuine about her experience. Everybody's going through something. Everybody's going through something. And when somebody tells you they got it all together, nobody has it all together. I'm, I'm in a small group Bible study, and we're studying the book of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount right now. And the bottom line of the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus said, this is the way I want you to treat people, and none of you can do it without me. None of you can do it without me. And that's the thing that life teaches us, is what we can and cannot do, and we can't do it without God. And sometimes it might be addiction, it might be depression, it might be marital problems, it might be all kinds of problems that bring us to that point of realizing what we can't do. But that's when you're really, really on to something. It's when you realize what you can't do because then you, you let go and you let God. And you find out a power that's bigger than anything you ever imagined. And you learn and God lets you drink from that cup of grace that it ain't about us. <clears throat> I showed y'all some of the personal faces of the pandemic in my life, uh, how it has affected uh, me personally. You know, I would encourage you to think about uh, in your own private time what has been your personal face of the pandemic and how it's affected you uh, positively, not just negatively. What have you learned? What are you doing differently now? Uh, as Fair pointed out in her devotional, uh, you learn from the things that God has done in your life in the past, and it encourages you that he's going to help you through the things that you're going through now. In the future, when you're going through something, how will what you have learned through the pandemic inform, instruct, encourage, guide you when you're facing the next crisis, the next problem that's going to be in your life? Because there's something you should have learned that you did learn that you need to walk away from, to hold, hold on to for the next challenge. What have you learned about yourself and others? Name one thing you're grateful for. And this is my other grand. See, I, I'm, I'm shameful. I find a reason to put my grandkids <laughs> in all my talks. <laughs> all of them made it. <laughs> uh, right now, that's him looking at something that was easy to look at. This blue balloon that he was fascinated with. This is probably about three years ago. He's bigger than that now. Um, but some things are not easy to look at, like that balloon. And the things that we're talking about are not blue balloons. There are things that are hard to look at, hard to think about, hard to meditate on. And I thank you for taking a look at something today that's not a blue balloon and would encourage you to continue to look and grow and, and benefit from the things in life that are not blue balloons that God has put in our lives for a reason. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Do y'all want to know what fair was like in the seventh grade? No. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to tell you because I can't remember that far back. <laughs> you, still, you don't deal with only addiction, right? Oh, no, I deal yeah. with everything. Yeah, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Um, 
suggest that we share this with our addicts and encourage them for, for where they are with the discouragement that they're living in. If I was going to pick one thing, well, oh, oh, I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to act like a psychiatrist. That's a very good question. How would y'all answer it? What would be the one thing you can think of? I know what I would tell someone. Gratitude. Gratitude. Uh, because when you're struggling, uh, the last thing you're going to be thinking about is gratitude, something positive, something, that cup of grace. That, see, you were talking about the cup of grace, really, when you were talking about your mercy. You were talking about the cup of grace. Uh, but gratitude. What is one thing, instead of just focusing on everything that's going wrong, one thing that's going right. Just focus on the things that are going right because that's what you can build on. I also think not focusing on fear. You know, um, build up your immune system. Go get some exercise. Go lose weight. Stop drinking so much. You know, spend time with your family. Go but ahead and just put our dirty laundry out there right there. <laughs> 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 talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> Are you not conditioned now to put your mask on even when you're in the car with your good friend? Is that not a conditioned thing? Oh, yeah, it's definitely a conditioned thing. Or real? I don't know what you mean, but. It was definitely a conditioned thing. People walk around like outside with the masks on. I'm like, why why does that person have a mask on outside? Right. See, kids walking home from school with the masks on, you're outside. Well, I can see the gentleman who said he's got a, he's immunocompromised. I can, I can see that. I can see that too. Right. But you know, I don't, I don't wear the mask outside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, I'm talking straight ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, sorry, I was going to say one thing that I do is I, especially when I'm challenged by my son, is I try and share my story as it relates to his conflict or whatever challenges he's got going on um, so that he knows that it's not just him. Right. Right. You know, been there, done that kind of thing. I remember my son um, about 10 years ago, he was going through some issues in his life. And uh, he says, Dad, I want you to tell me something that you struggled with, something that you had problems with. And I said, why are you asking? He says, I need to know that there's hope. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and that's, it, we have to be authentic. When there's, our son is, is pretty stable in, in not using, but we both believe that he would benefit from some more professional counseling for mm-hmm. his mental How do you suggest we approach him to encourage that? Well, has some of because you done? He may not have. He may just not think he needs it. I bet somebody in this room has done that. Have you? Anyone have any? Hmm. It backfired. It backfired. What happened? You you you, you suggested it and they got angry. Went once and never went back. But went once. 
Okay. Has anybody had a positive experience trying well, to encourage well, them? We suggested someone, and she went once and didn't. She's like, I'm never going back there. But in her own way, she found somebody. We did it last week. She says, yeah, I, I really like this person. I look forward to go back. Yeah. So, but that doesn't answer how do you encourage, encourage them to go to yeah, start suggesting like the podcast that you have it doesn't have to be go to a counselor sure. you know it's like I listen to this great my kids are telling me about podcasts I was like what what is this like <laughs> you know I'm, I'm the nerd too I'm like it's not a book it's a just listen to it you know but um so they're always saying oh I listen to this cool podcast or whatever and like give it back to them like here's a cool podcast you might like well and our daughter Claire loves podcasts but it's usually you know murder mysteries or <laughs> ghost stories or something so you know, it's important sharing that with her yeah. mm -hmm. I know our son responds if you ask him questions you know he's because then he is more willing to tell you than if you're saying you know this is this is what I'm noticing do you feel like Use this tonight, use this as an excuse. I went to this meeting and this crazy psychiatrist was talking about the <laughs> pandemic. You know those people a little weird. And, and he was talking about how it's affected people's mental health. And I was thinking, I wonder if that's true for my kids. You know, how's it been for you? And use that as an entree to break the ice. This is a good icebreaker. And you can play Columbo. Many of you know what Columbo is when you play dumb, you know. You know, I was thinking maybe this might have affected your, but I don't know. You know, I, what I know, you know, I don't even know what a podcast is. You know, these have podcasts about happiness. I don't know what a podcast is. Do you know, what do you think about that? And, and make it easy for them to talk. Uh, but meet them where they are. Um, but it's very difficult to just say, I think you need to go see doctor of whatever, because a lot of kids, that's the last person they're going to go see, is the one you tell them to go see. Uh, they gotta have, they got to have some skin in the game, you know, and feel like it's their idea, you know. But this is a good, uh, easy excuse, you know. You came to this meeting, I brought up all this stuff, made me think, could that be something that you might have gone through or any of your friends? And it's such a mental health epidemic among young people right now that if you say your friends, they're gonna go, oh God, you don't, you don't wanna know. Uh, my girlfriend, my, my friend, my, this guy I know, you know, and they'll start talking. And if you get them talking, you're getting there because at least they're starting to feel that you're safe to talk to. Yeah, as I said this weekend at our retreat, I'm having to partially relearn 38 years of parenting and how you address a child that's you know, going through some stuff. So. Mm-hmm. She's not really a child anymore. <laughs> Excuse me, my daughter. Yeah. How old is she now? 26. Yeah. Yeah, my youngest just turned 27, and she says, I still treat her like she's seven. She <laughs> says, I'm married with a kid, Dad. And I said, your point is? I didn't change anything. <laughs> It's still my baby girl. Mm -hmm. And I looked at her husband and I said, yeah, she's still my baby girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
anything else. But I really would encourage you, for those of you that are trying to figure out ways to talk to your kids about where they are, to try to get a, a sense of the pulse of where they are, um, use tonight. Talk to them about your experience, how things uh, the past year has affected you, some of the challenges you've gone through, and what has helped you. Uh, all three of my kids have heard my story about getting up at 5.30 to pray more times than they care to, uh, but they, you know, they know what I'm talking about. In fact, I told somebody it was al almost worth having cancer to learn what I learned at 5.30 in the morning. I wish it could have been another way, but... <laughs> Hey, the guy said 5.30, you know. When Yoda tells you it's 5.30, it's 5.30. 5.30 Pacific. Thank you, George. When your partner gets up at 3.30. My partner's crazy. My partner goes to bed at 8.30. He is closing his eyes right now. It better be important. that breathing exercise? Huh? Meditation. Oh, the mindful meditation? You're asking me if he does that? Well, I try to do that twice since we, you know, when, I, when I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would, now I'm thinking about breathing. I know I won't go back to sleep. <laughs> he had you guys doing that at no, the retreat? I mean, oh. He talked about it. Yeah. I mentioned a couple of the, the apps. Yeah. 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 Now he really does. He's into that. Yeah. But he really does go to bed about now and he gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning. He goes to the gym. And then he goes to his office. And did he tell you that he reads a proverb every morning? That's his version of 530 gratitude, is that he reads a proverb every single morning and tries to figure out what that proverb is going to inform him about that day. Now, it's probably about 530 when he's reading the proverb. Um, yeah, because he gets to the office at 6. Well, it's about 6. He reads that when he gets to the office. First thing, when he's drinking a cup of coffee, he reads a proverb. Sees his first patient at seven. He goes to bed at eight thirty. Okay. Oh no! Oh, seven o'clock is a popular time. Believe it or not, because people want to come before they go to work. Yeah. And kids, he sees a lot of kids. They want to see him before they go to school. You know, it's actually one of his most popular times. People fight over that time. So, they don't fight over with me because I can't do 7 o'clock. <laughs> 7 o'clock, I'm still trying to figure out what my name is. <laughs> but you're, you're grateful. I'm, hey, I'm grateful for what I can do, and I can't do that. If I want to have a meeting with him, I have to meet him at 6 o'clock in the morning. That's when we have our business meetings. 6 o'clock in the morning. Lunch or something like that. He doesn't eat lunch. He is crazy. I saw him eat. <laughs> he won't eat lunch with me. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> no, nah, we're like an old married couple, <laughs> you know. So we've been together. You know, we are what we are. <laughs> well, it's been fun being. They told me we got to be out of here at eight thirty. So I guess we better wrap it up. Uh, thank y'all for the opportunity to to talk about the pandemic. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you.